0: I was praying about it and, and then chose a psalm and read through it, it kind of stood out to me what it was that I wanted to speak about tonight, and it is uh, the art of lamenting. And so some of you right now might be lamenting that you even came here tonight, um, but stick with me because as you leave here you'll learn how to work through that lamenting, okay? But the truth is biblical lamenting is not something that comes up a lot uh, in sermons, Churches generally don't have a Lamenting 101 class with their Bible studies, but it's something that is biblical, and we see it especially lived out in the Old Testament, and one of those places is the book of Psalms. There's even an entire book in the Old Testament that's devoted to lamenting, right? The book of Lamentations, of course. So tonight we're going to look at lamenting, and the main text that we're going to use is Psalm 77. So if you want to Go ahead and get there, Psalm 77, in your Bibles. Psalm 77 is a psalm written by Asaph. It is a psalm of lament. You may or may not be familiar with Asaph, um, but he wrote 12 of the psalms. He wrote Psalm 50 and then Psalm 73 through 83. He lived about 1020 to 920 B.C. He lived through David and Solomon's reign and into Rehoboam's. He lived in Jerusalem, and he was David's music director. Uh, He was the son of Berechiah, who was one of the leaders of David's choir. And in fact, it really looks like Asaph's family was a musical family. Uh, The Asaphites, they were called, were one of the guilds of musicians that were in the Jerusalem temple. And Ezra actually talked about that in Ezra chapter 2. He says, the singers, the children of Asaph. And so we see that Asaph and his family were musical, and he wrote some of the psalms. And of the 12 psalms that Asaph wrote, half of them were laments. In fact, more than a third of all the psalms that were written are laments. And so tonight we're going to go through and look at lamenting. What is it? What isn't it? And we're going to look at the structure of laments and how do we approach this act of worship and praise. So let's pray first, and then we'll read right through Psalm 77. 77. Uh, Lord, we thank you uh, for who you are, Lord, and uh, so many words in Scripture that describe who you are, and you fulfill every single one of those perfectly. And, Lord, as we get into those seasons sometime of sorrow or grief, uh, lamenting, Lord, help us to focus back on who you are, on your character, on those names uh, that we see in Scripture, Lord. Your character does not change, Lord. Our feelings uh, will change from here to there, Lord, uh, but you never change. Help us to uh, just um, cling tightly to that steadfastness, Lord, of who you are uh, in the midst of our, of our sorrow. And Lord, we just pray that tonight we will have ears to hear, that we will have teachable hearts, Lord, and that we will just leave here a little bit different than we were when we entered. And we pray this all in the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Okay, so let's first read through Psalm 77, and as we do, I want you to listen to the words uh, because, and see where his kind of tone of voice changes as we go through Psalm 77. So I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and he gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My soul ran in the night and ceased not. My soul refused to be comforted. I remembered God and he was troubled and I was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed, Selah. Thou holdst my eyes waking, I am troubled and I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old and years of ancient times. I call to remembrance my song in the night. I commune with mine own heart and my spirit made diligent search. Will the Lord cast off forever? And will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Selah. And I said, this is my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also of all thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O God, is in the sanctuary, Who is so great a God as our God? Thou art the God that doest wonders that how hast declared thy strength among the people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph, Selah. The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, and they were afraid. The depths also were troubled. The clouds poured out water, the skies sent out a sound, Thine arrows also went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven, and the lightnings lightened the world. The earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, and thy path in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. And so that's Psalm 77. It's a typical lament. And so now what is a lament? Isn't, it, isn't a lament simply complaining? No. It isn't. But in our society and in our language, sometimes that word complain and lament are interchanged, but not in Scripture. Complain or murmur as used in Scripture is used in a different context in Scripture than the word lament. And just to clarify, that word that we just read in verse 1 that said complained, it means to ponder or to meditate. It's not used in the way that we commonly use the word complain. So listen to what the dictionary definition of lament versus complain is. Complain is to express dissatisfaction or annoyance about something. Lament is a passionate expression of grief or sorrow. So as we read through that, in verse 1, did you hear that passionate expression of sorrow from Asaph? Listen again to what he said. He said, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, This is written in the emphatic, and notice the repetition. It shows this earnest and fervent cry, very different than complaining. And in the Bible, we see this word murmur used both in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, and it can have this connotation of complaining. We see it used in the book of Exodus where the Israelites murmur against Moses and Aaron. We also see them murmur against God himself. And bringing it into the New Testament, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 14, we see the Apostle Paul exhort us to do all things without murmurings and disputings. And Jude talks about those who are murmurers and complainers. And so the word murmur, when it's used in Scripture, it's not in a good light. So murmuring, complaining, it's something that is shown to be something we should not do whereas lamenting is something that God calls us to do throughout Scripture. In fact, the the book of Lamentations is all about lamenting, about being sorrowful over the destruction of Jerusalem. And even Jesus himself quotes Psalm 22 from the cross, which is a psalm of lament, when he says, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now, N.T. Wright describes the difference between complaining and lamenting very well. He says, a complaint is an accusation against God that maligns his character, but a lament is an appeal to God based on confidence in his character. And isn't that exactly what we see in Psalm 77? Look at verses 11 and 12. Asaph says, I will remember the works of the Lord. Surely I will remember thy wonders of old. I will meditate also on thy work and talk of thy doings. And see, by remembering and meditating, on God's works and wonders and by talking of his doings, he's recalling God's character as displayed in the past. And so what we see is lamenting is actually a type of worship and praise of our Lord. Complaining accuses God. It tells him that he's not doing a good enough job. He's not doing what we want him to do and it ends there. There is no praise and worship attached to complaining. We complain to God or about him, and we move on. And it actually results in an act of selfishness rather than an act of praise. And lamenting is also not hopelessness and despair, the poor me syndrome. At the beginning of most laments, there is sorrow and pain. There's struggles and there's questions, but in the end, it ends with trust and praise in who God is. Listen to how David ends Psalm 13. But I have trusted in thy mercy. My heart shall rejoice in thy salvation. I will sing unto the Lord because he hath dealt bountifully with me. See, he laments in the first four verses, but then he trusts, rejoices, and sings unto the Lord. Relent, or Lamenting really becomes God-centered worship that enters in, or ends in praise and it declares God's greatness. And notice the words that David uses. I have trusted, my heart shall rejoice, I will sing. David makes a deliberate choice to do these things. So what is the structure of biblical lamenting? Well, first it's directed to God as we are talking to God. And it generally begins with lamenting, which can include some questions like Asaph had. And then there's this turning point where there's this conscious decision to focus on God which ends in praise and worship. So let's look at Psalm 77 up on the screen here specifically as we break this down. In the slide, we see this breakdown of Psalm 77 where verses 1 through 9, Asaph is lamenting. Verses 10 through 12 is that turning point. And finally, verses 13 through 20 are praise and worship. So we see this God-centered structure that really allows us to cry out our emotions to God without falling into self-centeredness. It always comes back to God and his greatness. So let's look a little bit closer at Asaph's psalm here in Psalm 77. In verse 1, we see Asaph cried unto the Lord. He's taking that first step of lamenting. He's directing his words to God himself. He isn't simply just talking through this in his own mind and to himself. And he acknowledges that he gave ear to him. In other words, he's talking to God and knows that God heard him. There is no doubt in his mind. And verse 2 says that in my day of trouble. So there was something that was troubling Asaph. This is kind of where the lamenting begins. We don't know what it was. We're not told. But what we know is that in the midst of this trouble, we're told that he sought the Lord. And we really get the sense of just how distressed he is when he says, My soul refused to be comforted. Have you ever been there where your soul has refused to be comforted? Now, there were others in Scripture who refused to be comforted, right? I think about the prophet Jeremiah when he wrote, Thus saith the Lord, a voice was heard in Ramah, lamentation and bitter weeping. Rachel weeping for her children, refused to be comforted for her children because they were not. And then Jacob, when he thought that his son Joseph had been killed, we read this in Genesis chapter 37, and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. But even in the midst of this deep anguish that Asaph was in, we see in verse 3 that he remembered God. And this is what you and I need to do also. In our anguish, we need to remember God. We need to bring him into our sorrow. We can't go it on our own and in our own strength. We need to allow the God of all comfort to do just that, to comfort us. And we also see in verse 3 and 4 that he's troubled, so troubled that he can't speak. His spirit is overwhelmed. So aren't you glad that we have a spirit that helps us in our weakness, that intercedes for us when we don't know what we ought to pray for? And aren't you thankful that Jesus prayed to the Father that he would send another comforter, one that would abide with us forever? See, in these verses, Asaph is laying out how distressed he is, how much anguish he is in, how much sorrow he is in. He's laying his soul bare before the Lord. And then he thinks about the days of old and the years of ancient times, these times when God did great works for the people of Israel, these times when they were dependent on him and he delivered them and provided for them and delivered them from trouble. You and I also need to think about those times, those examples in Scripture where God showed his mighty hand to remember how God helped numerous people throughout the Bible uh, in their time of need. And we also need to think about those times in our own lives when he has helped us through very difficult, seemingly impossible situations. And when we do this, it reminds us of God's character. It reminds us of his faithfulness, his love, and his power. And then we see Asaph, he moves on to questioning God. He's still lamenting here, but now he's getting into questioning. And I think this is where many Christians can get hung up. Should I question God? Will I offend him if I ask him questions? Is he going to punish me if I question him? Well, listen to these questions that Asaph asks of God. There's six of them in verses 7 through 9. Will the Lord cast off forever? Will he be favorable no more? Is his mercy clean gone forever? Doth his promise fail forevermore? Hath God forgotten to be gracious? Hath he in anger shut up his tender mercies? Ever ask any of these questions of God in some way? And do we ever see anywhere in Scripture where God smote Asaph for asking these questions? No, we don't. Charles Spurgeon says it is always a comfort when you can see the footprints of another man in the mire and the slow, for if that man passed through unharmed, you may too, for his God shall also be your helper. And it's so true. The God who helps Asaph is the God who helps us. Asaph questioned God, and he wasn't struck dead. He wasn't chastised. And you and I have that same assurance when we approach God in this way. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 16 says, Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And that's what we're doing when we come to God in lament. We're looking for his grace to help us in our time of need. And so what have we seen so far in Psalm 77, using it as a model for lamenting? First, we see that Asaph directs his words towards God, and he laments before God, including what we just read, the questions that he asks of God. And so does he end there? Does he lament and ask questions and then say, okay, I'm done? No, there needs to be this turning point. This turning point where we refocus off of what we're lamenting about, and we refocus on God and his character on his faithfulness and his greatness. And we talked earlier about this, but the turning point in this psalm are verses 10 through 12. This is where Asaph stops lamenting and chooses to remember and meditate, remembering and meditating on the years of the right hand of the Most High God, his works and wonders, and talking of his doings. And by doing this, he's recalling God's character. And he ends his lamenting by asking six questions, and six questions that can be answered by looking at God's character. And so we see Asaph in verses 13 through 20 end this psalm with praise and worship of God, of who he is and what he has done. He declares how great God is, and then he, that he uh, doest wonders, and God who has declared his strength among the people and redeemed thy people, the sons of Jacob and Joseph. And here he's speaking about God's deliverance from them out of bondage in Egypt, he also recounts the parting of the Red Sea, and I was interesting in his description of the parting of the Red Sea. He seems to add some things that aren't included in Exodus 14. Specifically, Asaph mentions in verse 17, "The skies sent out a sound; thine arrows also went abroad." So this would be thunder, and the arrows would be lightning. Now some believe that maybe Asaph adds added some poetic license here, but Josephus actually mentions what Asaph wrote here. Josephus says, as soon as ever the whole Egyptian army was within it, the sea flowed to its own place and came down with a torrent raised by storms of wind and encompassed the Egyptians. Showers of rain also came down from the sky and dreadful thunders and lightning with flashes of fire. Thunderbolts also were darted upon them. So it's interesting that Josephus gives this same type of description. And finally, Asaph ends this lament in verse 20 with just this great picture of God as shepherd. It's a far cry from verse 7 where he asks, will the Lord cast off forever? In the end, he declares, thou lettest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Asaph remembers how God always acted as a faithful shepherd to his people, guiding them, protecting them, providing for them. And it's good for us to remember that the Lord is our shepherd also and that we shall not want. I like Asaph. I actually get encouraged by reading his psalms. He's very real. He doesn't hold back when he talks to God and he isn't afraid to ask questions of God. Now, it's not like he doesn't have this high view of God. He does and he should. He's David's worship leader. But, I mean, listen to the beginning of some of his other psalms. Psalm 75, he begins, "'Unto thee, O God, do we give thanks.'" Psalm 81, Sing aloud unto God our strength. Psalm 50, The mighty God, even the Lord, hath spoken. So Asaph does glorify the Lord, but he still has his moments, as we all do. When we get frustrated, when we don't see God working in our lives, when he seems to be silent. But even when God seems to be silent, he is never silent in his word. It is quick and powerful. He is speaking through it always. Are we listening? Are we going to allow God to speak to us through his word? So here on the screen are the steps for lamenting. And we saw each of them as Asaph walked through Psalm 77. So first we speak to God. Again, we're not speaking to ourselves. We're not working through things in our head. We're speaking directly to God. We describe our suffering and our pain, our troubles, our sorrows to God. And then there needs to be that turning point that turning point where we refocus onto God and his greatness and his character. And then four, we remember and meditate on God's faithfulness, his goodness, his character, which in turn brings us into a state of praise and worship of our God. I think knowing that we can lament like this can be very freeing for us as Christians, especially for some who think that we cannot talk to God in this way. Biblical lamenting, in a sense, is asking God why. How long, O God? Why are you? Why aren't you? Why don't you? Why won't you? These are all why questions. And this word why is a very small word, only three letters. And when asked by a small child, many times it's simply the inquisitive nature of a child, very innocent and very simple. But as we grow older, many times what's behind this small word is great emotion great anguish and pain, maybe anger, fear, uncertainty, sorrow, and disappointment. And the reasons behind the why are many. Maybe it's a marriage that's falling apart, a job that's lost, a diagnosis that we never wanted to hear, a prodigal child, major health issues, one financial problem after another. Maybe it's the death of someone very young. It could be a combination of just one thing after another in your life, and you ask God, why? And this question, why, is not rhetorical, is it? We aren't just throwing up our hands and saying, why? No, we're asking this directly to God, and we want an answer, don't we? It's asked to him with tear-filled eyes and weaknesses in struggle, and the weight of burdens, the emptiness of loss and disappointment. This very small word carries such tremendous weight. And see, when we ask why, what we're looking for really is understanding. That's the reason that we ask this one word question. And we're not alone in this. This isn't a modern day Christian question, as we can see by going through Psalm 77. This is a question that's been asked of God for thousands of years by people. And we can learn by those, from those who have gone before us, and how they work through this very question in a way that honors and glorifies the Lord. And to be clear, God will not punish you or I for seeking understanding. Scripture says, For the Lord giveth wisdom, out of his mouth cometh knowledge and understanding. So if wisdom, knowledge, and understanding come from God, why would he punish us and be angry with us when we seek those three things? So when we cry out to God and ask why, what would understanding look like to you? The truth is, gaining understanding doesn't necessarily mean that we will find out the reason why, that we will understand the why. Many times what it means is that we will understand that ultimately, when we are in glory, everything will be okay. And to understand that God is in control, he is aware, he does care, he is good, he is faithful, and he does love us. Now, in Psalm 73, it's another psalm of lament by Asaph he wrote, uh, that he wrote, and he came to understand the fate of its enemies, that it was eternal destruction. At the same time, he understood his fate, that God would lead him into eternal glory. The exact answer to his why in Psalm 73, it's not given. It's okay to ask why. We see it all throughout Psalms, but in the end, Asaph glorified God, and so must we. Because, see, even when understanding comes, there can still be pain. Just because we understand, just because God may bring understanding, doesn't mean there won't be any pain. The presence of understanding doesn't mean the absence of pain. So many times we think that if we just understand, if God will just give us the reason, the pain will go away, but it doesn't always work that way. See, Jesus understood the why why he had to suffer and go to the cross to die in your place and mine, to pay the penalty that you and I owe for our sin, to shed his blood so that we can be forgiven. He understood that. That doesn't mean that there was no pain. He endured the pain of your sin and mine and all of humanity on his shoulders. His heart ached. For mankind, he endured the pain of nails hammered into his feet and into his hands and being flogged with glass laden whips and a crown of thorns jammed onto his head. He understood it, but it was painful. We all suffer and we all go through difficult situations, and lamenting provides biblical language and a model for us talking out our pain and sorrow to God in a way that brings glory and honor to his great name. And in the midst of anguish, we need to remember what we believe about God rather than what we feel. We need to uh, know that uh, what is true of God rather than what we feel is true. We need to go to God's Word, remember His truth and His character. They will never change. Our feelings will change. His character never will. His character can be trusted. Our feelings cannot be trusted. When my feelings tell me that God has abandoned me, his word reminds me that God says, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Asaph poured out his heart to God with, honestly, with what he felt. But in the end, he remembered the character of God and turned his conversation to the greatness of God, of what he had seen and what he had heard about God in the past. And when you and I approach God with our sorrows in this way, it actually becomes an act of worship and praise of the God who hath done great things. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you have indeed done great things. Lord, we see as we read through your word just thousands of years of what you have done and how you have worked in the lives of countless people through very, very difficult situations. And, Lord, uh, we thank you for that. We thank you for showing us real people, Lord, with uh, real um, issues that they had to work through, real sufferings. And, Lord, we know that you are the same God uh, that worked through them, Lord, and in them. The same God who comforted them is the same God who comforts us. And, Lord, I just pray that you will help each of us, Lord, when we go through those difficult times in our lives, Lord, that we won't just simply focus on that and walk away, Lord, but that we will come to you, speak to you, pour out our hearts to you, and then have that turning point where we focus back to you and who you are and your greatness and your character and your faithfulness. And that, Lord, in those difficult times that we go through, that we can actually turn that into a time of praise and worship that brings glory and honor to your great name. And we pray this in Jesus' name.
1: Amen. Thanks, Bill. It's good to open God's word. And as I was looking through that text there in Psalm 77, just some great truths that stick out. I love even the first couple of verses. I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and He gave ear unto me. I love that crying out. You know God expects us to have emotion. God expe- He created us with emotion, right He expects us to use that, to call out to him, to cry unto him. in the day of my trouble, I sought the Lord. I remembered God and was troubled. I complained, my spirit was overwhelmed. Uh, i mean i don 't know maybe maybe all are just perfect and always walking in the spirit. I know this one always does, right, but I mean the rest uh, there 's times where it can feel like life is hard, and, and some of that 's my own fault right others it's uh, it 's environmental, but either way, uh, we are to call out and cry out to God, and uh, great job, Bill, on helping us understand how to do that a little bit better. As he started off, he said, this is something that we don't talk about in the church, and it's it's true. We really do not. I do want to spend a a few minutes, the rest of our time here tonight, praying, and if you've been a part of our church, uh, you know my heart is that we would not just talk about praying, but that we would pray. Uh, If you have this little card, I want you to pull it out. There's some spaces that I've given to you to write some words or a sentence or a thought down. And we're going to break into groups and pray in just a minute. Before you do that, there's three questions that I've asked you, okay? The first one is, what are you asking God for, okay? Matthew 7 says, ask, and it shall be given you. Very simple verse, isn't it? Jesus speaking it, ask. What is it you need? That's, that's, the, uh, that's the essential part of praying, right, is we're coming to God asking, essentially saying, God, Only you can provide certain things, and I am unable to. Will you? As Hebrews 4, verse 12 was quoted earlier, I go boldly to that throne uh, of grace to find help in time of need. Secondly, what are you thanking God for? Okay, sometimes all we do is go to God, please, 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 I need, I need, I need. What about spending some time thanking God. 1 Thessalonians 5 says, In everything give thanks, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus. I want you to write down something that you thank God for. You can do that now. Okay, so the first one. What are you asking God to do? God-size things. I'm not, don't, don't you dare write down, Oh, I'm asking God to get me home safely tonight. <laughs> Okay. I mean, what do you need God to do in your life? Ask. Ask. And then thirdly, what burden, what burden are you needing to give to God? 1 Peter 5 says casting all your care upon him, why? Because he cares. Okay, sometimes we walk around with weights that are too big for us to handle. That we were not designed to carry the weight of the world. Cast all those cares before him. Did you write three things down? Are you still writing? Kelly, I do. You did okay? You did okay? Good. The thankful list, I'm sure, is really easy to write down. You have a good pastor. You have a good church. You didn't even think of that one, right? Yeah, I can help you out a little bit. Okay, so once you have those three, I want you to raise your hand once you have three things written down, okay, so I can gauge where you are with it, okay, I'll give you another minute then.